good morning from me to all of you. Great to see everyone here this morning. A happy Easter to every single one of you. Um, I love seeing so many um, families here together. It was great seeing you arrive with your kids, and they're all wearing their Sunday outfits, and I know there'll be some lovely family pictures later on, and just having everyone here on this beautiful spring day, great to see you. I know we've got a lot of folks who watch online as well, so good morning to you if you're joining us online this morning. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I'm so glad that you chose to spend some time with us today on this Easter Sunday morning. Now, some of you know me pretty well. Uh, You would know if you knew me that um, sometimes my memory's not the best. Uh, I'm not the best at remembering names at times. Uh, My wife makes fun of me because often I'll set something down at the house and I can't remember where I've put it, can't remember where I found it, but as a lot of husbands know, our wives can find anything in the house. They're just incredible. Um, I can't remember sometimes what I had for lunch just a couple of days ago. That's how bad my memory can be at times. But when it comes to events, specific things that have happened in my life, I remember them very clearly. I remember very clearly um, my, the day of my wedding. I remember very clearly the day I got married, what happened that day. Now, um, since then, my wife will ask me difficult questions like, but do you remember what day you proposed to me? No, I don't remember that. Do you remember what day we started dating? I can't remember what day we started dating. Do you remember that first date we went off, went on, and we walked past that street musician who was playing that song? Do you remember what song? How am I meant to remember that? But she knows all of these things. But the date of my wedding and the wedding day itself, I remember very clearly. It was February 14th, 1990. I think it was 1998. It was, yes, 1998. Seared in my mind. Remember it very clearly. I'll never forget the three separate dates that I was with my wife in the hospital when all three of my children were born. I remember being there at her side. I remember the pain and the discomfort as she was squeezing my hand. It was really hurting, but I, I, I held, hung in there and, and I put up with the pain and it was worth it to see these three beautiful children come into the world. I remember those three events very clearly. Um, I'll never forget the very first time Connect Church, we as a church family had a public service. So in 2013, we had this dream of, of starting in a new church here in Washington, Illinois, and our goal was to launch in the fall of that year. But in the weeks and the months leading up to that launch in September of 2013, we were building this this group, these these folks who were going to help us start this brand new church. They were what we called our launch team. And we found ourselves, uh, Easter of 2013, uh, quite a few of us now on this launch team, and we thought, you know, we should celebrate Easter together. We should, we should actually have a, an Easter service. So we, we contacted our friends at Washington Middle School, and we said, could we rent your space on Easter Sunday? And they said, absolutely. And this was our very first gathering as a church on Easter Sunday morning at Washington Middle School. Little did we know at the time, it would be the first of hundreds of gatherings in that school. We we enjoyed it so much that when we actually launched in September, this was our church home for many years until finally uh, this wonderful facility, this building opened up and we were able to make this our permanent church home here in Washington. I remember our opening weekend in this building. It was very specific. I remember what a great Sunday and we had a Saturday night and two Sunday morning services. Just a wonderful service uh, that weekend. 
Because I may not be able to remember some of the, the smaller things, but events, they are ingrained in my mind. And I found that the more important the event, the more memorable it becomes. So this morning is Easter Sunday. Followers of Jesus are gathering like us here this morning around um, Washington, around the country, around the world to celebrate Easter on this Easter morning. But when they gather to celebrate, when we gather this morning to celebrate, it's not to, to, to think about a religion. It's not to, to, to think on or to celebrate uh, the writings of the Bible. It's, it's not even just to celebrate who Jesus was. Because while all those were important, we are gathered this morning to celebrate an event, something that took place on that very first Easter 2,000 years ago. Today, we celebrate the resurrection, the empty tomb, Jesus raising from the dead on the third day. That's what Easter is about. It's an event. It's something that happened in history that changed the world as we now know it. Just a couple of days ago on Friday night, we, we gathered here, some of us, for a Good Friday service, and there was a very different kind of feel to the service. It was much more of a reflective evening. We were, um, we were thinking about the great cost that Jesus paid when he, when he hung on that cross for us, and we took communion together, and we kind of focused in on the pain of that Good Friday. But even as we did, we all knew in the back of our minds that it was Friday, but Sunday's coming. We knew that the celebration would be coming just a couple of days later because we have the luxury now, hundreds of years later, of knowing how the story ends. We know that even in the, the pain and the suffering of Friday, we know what's coming on Sunday. But it's important to understand this morning that back then, in Jesus' time, nobody saw today coming. Nobody realized that what was going to happen was going to happen. You see, the day that Jesus died, those that followed him, his disciples, his family, his followers, his friends, the day that Jesus died, their hope died with him. The day that Jesus died, their hope died with him. They thought, this is it. This is the end. In fact, there's a guy by the name of John who lived 2,000 years ago who wanted to make sure that, that we fully understood exactly what went down in the life and death of Jesus. Because he was there. He witnessed it with his own eyes. He got to see Jesus perform miracles. He, he heard him teach. He saw him die. So he decided to write down for the people back then, and unbeknownst to him, for us even today, exactly what happened. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, what John wrote. We've been talking in this series we've called Signs, and we've been talking about some of the signs that John spoke about. Because John called the amazing miracles that Jesus performed, he called them signs because they pointed to who Jesus was. And John actually tells us in his book that he wrote why he felt compelled to write it, why it was so important to John to get his thoughts down on paper. You can read about it in John 20, verses 30 and 31. This is John speaking. He says, the disciples, and John was one of them, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written. Here's why I'm writing this down. 
These are written so that you, the reader, may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John's saying, I'm writing this down because based on what I've seen, I want you to believe like I believe. If you'd seen what I've seen, you would believe. So because you didn't get to see, I want to tell you what I saw so that you can believe. John's wanting us to understand that biblical faith is belief based on evidence. The biblical faith, when you choose to, to believe in, in Jesus, it's not just some ethereal thing. Yeah, but biblical faith is belief based on evidence of things like what John told us happens. And what I love most about what John wrote and the other writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is they wrote it exactly how it happened. They told the truth. None of them wrote themselves into the story as these diehard believers who'd figured it all out. No, when you read, you realize that on that Good Friday when Jesus died, their hopes died too because they didn't understand what had just happened. They didn't have the luxury that we have today of, of knowing what was coming on Sunday. They thought that on Friday, the person they'd been following for the last three years had led them astray and it was all for nothing. Because when they were following Jesus, it wasn't because of the things he said and the things he did. It's because who they thought he was. At that point in their lives, who they thought Jesus was. You can read about it in John chapter 6. So um, there's this passage, and it's right after the feeding of the 5,000. And lots of people are following Jesus at this point because he's teaching these amazing things. He's performing these miracles. So there's a lot in it for the people following. They're, they're getting a lot out of this. But then Jesus starts to get a little bit more intense in his teaching and he starts to require more of his listeners and people are like, yeah, that's a bit too much for me. And, and one by one, people stop following him. And listen to this conversation he has with his disciples, the last 12 in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples and people that followed him, many of them turned away and deserted him. So Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you also gonna leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. We're not going anywhere. We're here with you because we've figured it out. You are the Holy One of God. At this point in their journey, John is explaining that as disciples, we thought we'd figured it out. We knew that Jesus was the Holy One of God and we had this understanding, we had this idea of what that meant. But when he died, we realized we'd got it all wrong. I came across a website uh, recently, it was talking about the job market and different things that's going on with employment right now and there was a whole section where it listed um, some, some comical uh, things that people have put on their resumes, some comical answers that people have put either intentionally or maybe unintentionally on their resumes. There were dozens there. I'd love to read them all, but I chose my five favorites to share with you this morning. So these were actual answers that people put on their resumes. Under the skills section, someone said, as far as skills, uh, I have this that I can bring to the organization, Googling. <laughs> I'm brilliant at Googling. I can Google anything. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy you need on your team, right? Someone else, their uh, skill was, I'm a big dude, so I can handle myself in a fight. <laughs> 
super helpful. I'm not sure what job they were applying for, if it was like an IT position at Caterpillar. Not sure that's that helpful, you know, but maybe a, a bouncer in a bar or something, that could be helpful. I love this next one. I have integrity, so I will not steal office supplies and take them home. <laughs> we need more people like you. You're hired. <laughs> this guy, under the heading skills, simply wrote, yeah, I got them. <laughs> All right, then in that case, you're hired. <laughs> And I think my favorite one was this last one I read. It said, um, strong work ethic, attention to detail, team player, self-motivated, attention to detail. <laughs> There's nothing worse, is there, than, than when somebody lies or, or even just exaggerates on their resume in order to get the job. Maybe some of us have done that. But there's nothing worse than when you've done that, that you get found out. I mean, imagine the, the situation. Bill's at work one day and his boss comes into the office and goes, Bill, thank goodness you're working today. I noticed you put on your resume that you speak French. We've got this French customer who's coming in this morning and we need you to, to translate. And that was the day that they discovered that Bill doesn't speak French. He speaks English with a French accent. Hello, welcome to our company. <laughs> that wasn't even close to French. That was more like Borat, I sounded. So, um... <laughs> There's nothing worse than, than putting something and then you get found out. You see, Jesus' followers believed that he was the Holy One of God. And they had this expectation of what they thought that meant as far as job descriptions go. They thought he was the Messiah. And up till this point, the, the Jewish people, they'd been excited and anticipating the arrival of the Messiah because he was gonna change everything. He was gonna set them free. They were, they were in captivity right now to the Romans. He was gonna set them free from the Romans. He was gonna liberate them. He would be their king. He would lead them victoriously. We would be on the right side. And that's who they thought Jesus was. And the day they watched him die on a cross, at that point, all their hopes and dreams and expectations died with him. They had to be thinking, he lied on his resume. He lied on his resume. He wasn't who we thought he was. But the truth was, they just didn't understand who Jesus really was and what his true mission was at that point on that Good Friday. But just a few days later, everything was about to change. And I love this. Rather than lie and pretend they'd figured it out all along, as they write these accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the truth. They're like, we had no idea. When he died, we thought that's it. In fact, I love John's account of how he discovered that Jesus had, had risen from the dead because it's so real, it's so truthful of how he went down. It's so clear as you read John's account that he was not expecting this. You can read about it in John chapter 20. We'll read it together this morning, verses one through nine. Early on Sunday morning, that was that Easter Sunday, this, this Sunday, 2,000 years ago, early on that Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Do you know who that disciple is? It's John. The guy writing this book, he's like, yes, yeah, she ran and found uh, Peter and uh, his favorite, John. I think you know who it is. She said to them, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, who we know is John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
John wants to make it clear at this point that, hey, I'm a lot faster than Peter. <laughs> okay, just so you know, that's Peter's so slow. I totally beat him. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, like finally, because he's so slow, John's saying. He arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, the fastest one, he also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. In this moment, John's saying, that's when the light went on. That's when I got it. That's when I fully understood and I believed. Now, I've got to be honest with you, if I was John and I was writing about my own experience, I'd be writing different. My version would say, everyone else doubted, but I knew all along. I, I knew because I was the fastest. I was the fastest at everything and I, I totally got it. I never doubted for a moment, but no. Because John was writing the truth as it happened. The reality is that nobody was expecting nobody. Nobody was expecting nobody. And that's what happened on that Easter Sunday morning. When they discovered the empty tomb, they suddenly understood and they suddenly believed. And then we read that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Then he eventually appeared to the rest of the disciples, to his family members. And we read that over 500 people ultimately got to see the risen Jesus. And he didn't just appear to them kind of floating around the room like this kind of spirit or ghost. It says that he spoke to them, he ate with them, he embraced them. And as a result, John tells us, we believed. When we saw what he did, when we saw him with our own eyes, we understood and we believed. And this is why John said, I've got to write this down. This was about 80 or 90 AD, AD, so about 50, 60 years after the life and death of Jesus. So people would still have been talking about the events of Jesus' life. This would still be spoken about all throughout the New Testament world. But John knew it's not enough just to speak about this. I need to write this down. I need to share my experience of what happened in my life because I remember what it was like when I believed. And I want others to read my words. I want them to believe too. And this is what I love about Easter Sunday. Every year on Easter Sunday, it puts us in the position of focusing in on that, that event. Not the person, not the, the book, not the religion, but the event of Jesus rising again. And it puts us in the, this position at least once a year of asking ourselves that question, what do I believe? What do I believe this morning? Maybe you got up this morning and did an Easter egg hunt with your kids. Maybe later you're going to go together as a family and eat somewhere nice together as a family. I know many of you got your kids all dressed up. There'll be some nice family pictures showing up on Instagram and Facebook today. Easter Sunday is a great day, but the reality is at the very heart of the day, I think, is this question that John wants us to consider. What do I believe about Jesus? Who do I think he was? I need to pause on this day every year and ask myself that question, what do I believe? 
Because on that first Easter Sunday, thousands of years ago, the disciples, their, their thoughts, their beliefs, they changed. They got it, they understood. What do I believe now today? There's a man by the name of Francis Collins. He's an American physician and a geneticist. Uh, he discovered the genes associated with a number of diseases. He actually was the leader of something called the Human Genome Project, uh, which was uh, an amazing scientific activity to map out the, the human DNA. He's probably one of the greatest scientists of our time. Thanks to his work, we now have a greater understanding of human DNA. And with this understanding, we're now able to, to potentially make huge advances, uh, sorry, advances in treating diseases because of his understanding and because of our understanding now of DNA. Unfortunately, it also means that uh, with this new understanding of DNA, that websites like Ancestry.com and 23andMe have sprung up, which means that on a pretty regular basis, I'll have someone come to me and say, Dave, guess what? I'm 19% English. I'm like, awesome. That's cool. But listen. Unless you're drinking your tea hot with milk and sugar and you know the proper football, you're not English, okay? <laughs> I don't know about it. But Francis Collins, this incredible scientist, this incredible mind, found himself one day in a position where he had to answer that question, what do I believe? He talks about it in a video that we're about to watch together. Check this out. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, 
who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis, and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning, and it's fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history, and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings, and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. So sat by a patient's bedside, this doctor is faced with that question for the very first time in his life, what do I believe? What do you believe, doctor? And I love his story because he said, I, I, I didn't know the answer to that question. I had to go away and think that through. And maybe this Easter Sunday morning, for, for some of you here, you too are now faced with that same question. I came along because my parents brought me. I came along because it's Easter. I thought it'd be good to go. I came along because my spouse brought me. But, but right now, you may find yourself here in person or watching online confronted by that question. What do I believe? What do I believe about Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this morning, that question will kind of rattle a little bit in your mind, that you'll, you'll take the time to think it through and to, to, to really kind of investigate and think, what do I believe? And I think there's a second question that Easter Sunday brings us to, and it follows on from the first question, because if we are willing to, to step up to that question, what do I believe? If we really are willing to engage in that question, what do I believe? Then I think the second question we have to ask ourselves is, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? If I do believe that Jesus is who he said he was, what am I now going to do about that? So hundreds of years ago, when the disciples got it, on that first Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead and they figured out, now we understand what your plan was all along. You'd even been talking about it. We just didn't understand it. Now it's, everything's fitting together. Everything's falling into place. We get it. We believe. We believe that you truly are the Messiah, the Son of God. Not only do we believe that, we are compelled to tell everyone about it. That's the action we now have to take. We can't keep this to ourselves. John wrote it down. Peter and then other disciples, apostles to come, Paul, James, others committed their lives to telling others about Jesus. At a cost, 11 of the 12 disciples lost their lives, were executed because they wouldn't stop talking about what they believed about Jesus. This is why I struggle to believe that people think, oh, well, maybe they were just making up the story to keep the legend going. 
That's a, that's a pretty committed story to, to stay with if it's gonna cost you your life. Unless something real happened, you saw it with your own eyes and what you believe is based on what you saw. That's what they did. But what am I gonna do this morning with this? If I truly believe that Jesus is, or even if I, even if I strongly believe that Jesus is who he said he was, what's next? What do I do with that? If I decided today, I think I'll take a trip to Chicago. It's a nice day. It'll be a lovely day to go up to the city and see the sights, maybe do something nice up there in Chicago. Casey and I, we could go together, enjoy a, uh, an afternoon and an evening up in the city of Chicago. But you know, I just don't really want to drive up there. You know, it's, it's going to be quite tiring driving all over Chicago. Well, just half an hour, 45 minutes from here in Bloomington Normal, there's an Amtrak station. I could go there, and there's a train that runs all the way from St. Louis to Chicago, and it stops right there in Bloomington Normal. So I could look up online what time that train comes, and I could leave my house believing that there is a train that will take me to Chicago. I could drive all the way across 74, headed to Bloomington Normal, to park, strongly believing that there is a train that will take me to Chicago. I can go in. I can buy a ticket because I'm that confident in my belief that this train will take me to Chicago. I can stand on the platform waiting, watching, looking at my watch, because I've got such a strong belief that there is a train coming that will take me to Chicago. And then at some point, I'm gonna see that train coming towards me, and all of my beliefs will be confirmed as it arrives. I can believe that that train will take me to Chicago. But if I stand there and watch the doors close and watch it pull away, I'm not going to Chicago. It doesn't matter how much I believe that that train will take me to Chicago. Unless I'm willing to step foot onto that train, unless I'm willing to, to do something about it, to do something about my belief, to, to take some action and step onto that train, it doesn't matter how much I believe that train will take me to Chicago. The only way I'm getting to Chicago is by acting on my belief. And I hope and pray this morning that, that some of you here will, will think through that, maybe even say a little prayer to God. Say, God, I want to believe. This is kind of new to me, but I, I, this, it's almost like there's this pull inside of me that wants to believe that there is something, that Jesus, you were who you said you were, that you can make a difference in my life, like you've made a difference in the lives of my family and friends. I want to believe that. But more than that, I would love it this morning if, if part of that prayer was in Jesus, I want to do something about that. I want to take some kind of action this morning. That action may simply be in a moment when I close out in prayer, that just where you're sat, just very quietly, just in your head as I'm praying, that prayer becomes your prayer. As I pray to close out this service, your prayer may be, Jesus, I believe. I believe my action this morning is to confess and to say, Jesus, I do believe that you are. And I want you to be a part of my life. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that entails. I'm not sure how that's gonna work. But, but the, I know that the very first step for that happening is for me to acknowledge that, that I want you, I need you in my life. I can remember praying that prayer myself in my car 
just alone by the side of the road. I'd been with a friend that evening who'd been sharing his, his faith and his relationship with Jesus. And he just was telling, and I could see by his eyes that something in him had changed. I knew that what he was talking about was real to him. And I couldn't shake that. And I remember driving home that night and, and on the way home, I just really believed. And I, I remember pulling over on the side of the road and right there, just alone in my car, I said, God, I, I believe. I believe you are real. And something changed in my life that night. Just when I reached out, because that's all God, he, he, he was just waiting for me to reach out to him. Maybe the action for you will be, I'm just still not sure, I need to figure more of this out, so, so I, I'm gonna come back next week. That would be awesome. We would love to have you come back next week and the week after that and keep coming back and learning more about Jesus. We talk about him every week here and the, the difference he can make in your lives. Maybe, maybe your action this morning will be making that commitment to say, I'm, I'm gonna come again. I'm gonna come again. You are so welcome to keep coming. Even if you still have more questions than answers, we'd love for you to come and join us each week here at Connect. But I hope and pray this morning that you won't watch the train pull up to the platform and then watch it pull away. I hope and pray that this morning some of you will have the, the courage to say, Jesus, I, I need to step onto this train. It's time. I've got to step onto this train. It's no good just believing that it can do what it says it's going to do. I need to actually believe and put my faith in action by stepping onto that train. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And we understand that today is a celebration of an event. An event that took place, a memorable event that changed history. Jesus, your life was incredible. You healed people, you taught such amazing things. But if you died and hadn't risen again, it would all be for nothing. But the event that we remember on Easter Sunday is that you rose again. You conquered death. You became this, this bridge between us and Father God because you went to the grave in our place so that we need not fear death, Lord, because we can have eternal life through you. Lord Jesus, I think there are some here this morning, even either in person or watching online, who find themselves where that doctor found himself at the patient's bed, where maybe those disciples found themselves on the Easter Sunday morning questioning, what do I believe? I pray, Lord, that right now as I'm praying this prayer, there would be some here this morning who just in their hearts right now are echoing those words. Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the, who you say you are. Jesus, I know that right now you hear those prayers. As people are praying those prayers internally, you hear those prayers. But I pray as well, Lord, it would be more than just a prayer, that there will be some kind of action. Maybe it's that person telling a friend or a loved one, hey, I, I think I believe. Could you help explain this more to me? Could you help me in this journey? Maybe the action will be making that commitment to come again next Sunday to learn more, to grow more. But I pray that Easter Sunday will be more than just candy, nice outfits and time with family. It would be a time where we ask ourselves the question, what do I believe? And what am I going to do about it? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.